Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Two Writing Teachers podcast. My name is Stacey Schubitz. I'm here with my colleagues and co-hosts, Melanie Meehan and Amy Ellerman. Two Writing Teachers is a meeting place for a world of reflective writers. And here on the podcast, we're excited to talk about ways to create, lead, and sustain joyful and productive writing workshops. Let's work together, inspiring and empowering students to be competent, brave, and confident writers. Hello, everyone. Thank you for coming back and listening to the Two Writing Teachers podcast. I am Melanie Meehan. I am here today with Amy Ellerman, my colleague and co-host, and we are talking about a topic that is near and dear to my heart, and that is the importance of volume in writing workshops. Um, hi, Amy. I should say that before I even get going. <laughs> hi, Melanie. <laughs> How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good, good. We'll be kind of going through the importance of volume and also ways that teachers can set classrooms up and students up to really have opportunities to to build the amount of writing that they do in classrooms. Absolutely. Well, one of the things I was thinking about is years ago at a conference, I heard Reggie Routman say that if you have time to read everything your kids are writing, they're not writing enough. And I remember it just knocked the wind out of me. And I thought, holy moly, that is quite a statement. And it really made me reflect on how much my own students were writing in workshop and whether or not it was enough. I'm so excited to have the chance to sit down with you today to talk this out and think through it. And one of the things I'm really wondering is, as teachers of writers, how do we determine what enough is? I, it's so funny because I I almost always get asked the question when I am in, like, when I'm first breaking down a unit with teachers, like, how many pieces do they write? And it's a really hard question to answer because I think it's different for so many people. Um, but I will say, like, I, I was thinking about it hard today and not in the context of writing. It's like it was like the perfect analogy that happened today because to, I, I knew we were going to be talking about this. And so I don't know, maybe like my brain was on it, but I had a golf lesson and the instruct like I really like this teacher and it wasn't like my first lesson, but I also know that she tends to talk a lot. And sometimes I want her to just stop talking. I want her to just like like stop describing <laughs> to me what I'm doing or not doing. Like let me try it. Like just let me hit balls. Um and I I need to like practice physically what she means by not taking my swing all the way back. And I need to practice what she means by following through toward the target. Right. Like, and I don't know, like, I feel like sometimes as a teacher, it's easy to hold on to writing really tightly and control the swing, if you will. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I hear that a lot from teachers who are who will say, well, I haven't taught them that yet, so I can't turn them loose on that part yet until I teach X, Y, and Z. But the irony is, or, or the, the counter argument maybe to that is that kids frequently have had lessons on X, Y, and Z in their past, or 
they've picked up on things from books or they just have a storytelling tendency. And I don't know, maybe sometimes they can do more than we give them credit for. I I think that's almost always true. (laughs) Yeah. But, but I think that as counterintuitive as, as it is, when we think about enough, um, I think that it's the students who are the kids that we worry about the most in writing who need to write the most number of pieces and do the most practicing. Um, and and I've, I've said that a number of times. Like the, the kids who are more sophisticated writers can hold on to ideas for longer periods of time across days. Whereas I think the kids who are less sophisticated writers almost need more times to have at it. Like um, whether it's any part of the writing process, they need to think of ideas more. They need to initiate more. They need to practice that introduction more. They need to practice forming their letters more. They need to practice being brave spellers and, and pushing themselves through the parts that are hard. Well, when you think about all the decisions that a writer is making, it takes a lot of practice to become sort of fluent with making those decisions quickly and naturally and to internalize the things that writers do. And so that makes a lot of sense. Which is kind of like that teacher who is saying, but I haven't taught them that yet. Right? Like if we're setting kids up to practice whatever it is we've taught that day, then we're teaching just that part of the process and we're not giving the kids the opportunity to make those decisions and use that executive skill set that is involved in how do I make the decision of what skill I'm using. If you look at it that way, then you're not, every part of that project or that process is being given the exact same weight when we know that with writers, we're prioritizing different skills at different times based on what that writer needs. Right. And uh, you have to trust that writers are sophisticated enough to know and understand that, but mostly they're not yet. And so that would really add to that argument that they need to practice being out there on the playing field. I guess I sometimes think about it too as like, like, you know, and I like for anybody who's like, oh, could you stop with the with the sports analogies? Like for me, they just they make so much sense. I guess I could try to think of like a baking analogy or like an art analogy. Give me a minute and I probably could. But um, but if I'm thinking about like soccer and going out and practicing and practicing dribbling and doing that, like, okay, we're practicing dribbling. That's all well and good. But then once I'm in a game, I have to make the decision as to whether I'm going to be dribbling or whether I'm going to be passing. And I've got to have both of those skills in order to be an effective player. And I, I think that with writing, like you have to start combining all of these skills in order to be an effective writer. And you, you develop those skills by writing a lot of pieces and having the volume. So I, I don't like saying to people, this is how many pieces you should be writing. <laughs> you know, it's right. <laughs> um, and maybe maybe it is more like looking around the classroom and, and engaging in kid watching 
and really watching and seeing our our kids doing meaningful work and you know really developing a set of criteria for evaluating the meaningful work that's happening in the classroom and and how you identify that yeah to me that feels like the balance between like there's a sense of urgency like writers are motivated to be working on something really specific there's energy for writing. Um, and there's a little bit of a sense of this is low stakes. Everything isn't writing on this one piece. I'm going to be writing more than one piece. So I'm going to have a chance to keep getting better at this thing I'm trying to get better at. I think you're onto something with the low stakes piece, and it's worth exploring what you mean by that. Like when we think about low stakes writing, um, I know like what I'm envisioning. I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. Well, I think I think it feels different for writers when the um, goal of a unit of study is one perfect, and I'm using perfect in quotation marks, published piece that is going to be sort of like, oh, like here's what I produced during this unit, which to me feels like a snapshot in time, right? Like this is what this writer is capable of right now. Um, versus a series of pieces um, in different um, sort of some more finished than others, but that over time, if you were to lay them down, that writer can point out what it is that they can see themselves getting better at over time because they are not feeling so married to one piece, but they have a chance to try it here and I'm going to try it here. And it feels sort of um, playful and experimental, and I'm. Um, it's not all my eggs in one basket, but it's an opportunity to work on something as a writer in a couple of different places, in a couple of different ways, and to get feedback on what I'm getting better at, and then to be able to notice that myself. That feels, to me as a writer, really empowering to be able to see in the course of a unit of study, here's my trajectory. Here's where I started, and look at me getting better at this. Look at me growing as a writer. You bring up a really important distinction, I think, there without having said it, and that is the importance of intentional practice when it comes to volume, mm. right? Like, I think that you can see kids, and I'm thinking about, like, some of the kindergartners who would, like, scribble on a piece and go get a new piece and scribble on another piece and go get a new piece and do it again, right? Mm -hmm. And basically... There, there would be some kids who might be writing in, and in, you know, in kindergarten, there's that is writing um, many pieces, but without the intention of practicing something within that writing piece. And I, I, I want to underscore the importance of setting goals and knowing what kids are working on, and that intentional practice at moving toward them. Um, because I think that that's important when we're thinking about volume. It makes me think about a third grade classroom I was working with, and the teachers were really worried about um, writing stamina and kids getting started. And so we really intentionally planned a week of instruction where every day that week they were generating a new idea and flash drafting. Next day, generating a new idea, flash drafting. And by the end of that week, the intent was that they would feel so much more confident about 
those two parts of the process, we weren't worried about trying to finish those pieces that week, but to work on those specific process skills of generating ideas and like stamina for flash drafting at the beginning of that unit. And it was super successful and it was intentional practice. And then they had lots of things started that they could continue to work on, you know, across that unit. I love that. And I guess the question becomes then, do those count as pieces? So like when I go back to having that conversation with teachers and trying to answer their questions, like how many pieces, like, do those count as pieces? And I would argue that they do count as pieces and they count as writing and it counts as volume. And I would add that different pieces are for different purposes. Yes. Um, and and that's a really important thing. You might have a set of pieces that are really around the learning targets of thinking of ideas and getting started. Mm-hmm. Um, you might have that are really intentionally about having a structure and a beginning, middle, and end, right? And just making sure that writers have that. And part of it's about keeping that purpose in mind and letting go of everything being all the way finished to the end. Because that's not always the most valuable work of a writer, to finish all five of those pieces You know, that wasn't the point of that. And some of those pieces, yes, they were finished. But if that's not the point, then how do we let go of the reins, you know, and not worry about everything going through every step of the process every time? Right. Maybe it's that mantra, don't let perfect get in the way of good. Um, And maybe it's that thinking about intentional practice and what's the intent. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe it's really keeping learning targets at the forefront and what is holding this person back and how can we work toward a process that lets them fly? Uh, I don't know. I I also, I love the analogy of gum in the straw, like what's the gum (laughs) and how do we um, give a set of strategies that helps move it? So as we talk about like what we mean, each of us, when we say enough, you know, How do we set up our workshops so that our writers have opportunities to write enough? What are some of those really practical ways that we set up and and launch the year and support our writers in that way? You know, I think that one of the things that might be helpful to think about is front-loading both like a process chart of how you do something So like whether it's how you write a story or how you write an information piece or how you write it, whatever the genre is, that you have a process piece and you go over those steps is almost a front load. Um, And then you can also even front load the expectations that you're going to teach over time, but here they are at the beginning so that those charts almost serve as the silent teachers so that kids who are ready can try things out if they want to. Um, And you can get a sense of what kids know how to do before you've even taught it. Well, that is formative data for us, right? What, What do writers already have control over themselves? Right. And, and it, it, sometimes it's surprising, like some, right. Like sometimes you're like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> you just knocked that out of the park. I haven't taught that. And you just, and you already do it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think that paper choice is incredibly important. I think that giving kids options of paper when they're in the lower grades and letting them explore their keyboarding and how they how they get ideas onto a computer is um, really powerful and letting them go, like not holding them back, but also with the paper being aware of what paper holds them back and what paper pushes them forward. There have been amazing blog posts written about it on two writing teachers and there's a I've written a whole chapter about it in a book. Like the power of paper is a huge thing and um, I think it really, really impacts volume that that happens in classrooms. Well, something as simple as paper not stapled together versus paper already in little books, like the little book that's already created is well-intentioned, right? Like, oh, that will save time. And oh my gosh, kindergartners and staplers and oh, you know, but at the same time, it also creates this artificial ceiling, right? Where it's this nonverbal that this is how long your book can be, or this is how big your book can be, or this is how it can be organized. When, if we trust writers to make those choices, um, often they will write more. Right. And sometimes they might write less because that expectation freezes them. So it's, mm. it works both ways, right? Like sometimes they're not ready to write a multi-page book. They're ready to write a one-page book and they'll get more volume if they write a few one-page books and practice that skill than if they're frozen trying to think of how they're going to do a three-page book. I think it's like that zone of proximal development and that balance of expectations of what kids are ready for and what they've passed. I think another really, really big deal to think about when it comes to volume is what kids are writing with. There are some kids who really get held back from a volume standpoint by a pencil um, and an eraser. Sometimes, sometimes my favorite thing to have is a is a flare pen, and I'll pull it out and I'll be like, "You got to watch out! This pen writes a lot and it writes really fast." And just like putting a different utensil in their hands and watching them go can pump up the volume. Something else I think about a lot is the language that we use in our workshops to build that community of writers that um, writes and that is working hard and is super engaged during that work time to create and to try again and to make um, multiple attempts at what it is that they're trying to do. And I think sometimes it's as simple as um, almost that expectation, well, that of course you're going to have another piece. And of course, if you have time, you know, you're going to go back and try that again. And so, you know, the next time you try this or, oh, I can't wait until, you know, that really um, within that workshop builds that culture of, Melanie, I don't know if you've heard this expression. I just heard this recently. Someone at work referred to like a culture of practice. And I'm not sure where the origin of that is, but I loved that idea of, um, a workshop being a culture of practice and that this, yeah, this, this space. That's a great line. Yeah. We have this space to be so intentional about doing the things we want to get better at. And part of what, who we are, you know, part of our identity is that um, we invest time and energy in things that matter to us 
and that we want to get better at and what kind of language we use with young writers that helps them to know and understand this. No, I love the culture of practice and I love having the culture be not everything's perfect, but everything is trying to improve and to learn and get better. And yes, you know, that's, that's where you really do need the practice opportunities that come with writing more than sometimes actually is happening. Well, and then celebrating, you know, with writers and as a community, when we see like evidence of that growth, which is so exciting and so motivating. So I guess like closing, I would just say, get in the habit of looking around a writing workshop and really taking inventory with kids of how, what they're doing with their writing time. Are they trying new things? Are they moving through pieces? Are they spending a lot of time erasing? And if they're doing that, why? Are they spending a lot of time flying through pieces without intention? And if they're doing that, why? And what what do you need to teach them in order to get them kind of in a more northeast trajectory of growth? Yeah, it's really exciting in a workshop when you all kind of get to that place where you value that that practice and those minutes are sacred and there's such energy from a room full of writers all excited to write and to write more. We would love to hear how some of the volume attempts and increasing volume intentions go. So be in touch, be in contact with us, and thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Two Writing Teachers podcast. Check out the show notes for links to the items we mentioned in this episode, as well as ways to connect with us. For more about the teaching of writing, head over to the Two Writing Teachers blog at twowritingteachers.org. If you liked what you heard today, please share it with your friends and colleagues, post about it on social media, like, subscribe, and leave us ratings and reviews. Our music is by Lemon Music Studio. If you'd like to connect with us, email us at contact at twowritingteachers.org. Thanks again for listening. Let's teach, learn, and write on together.